Thanks for listening to the podcast from Gary Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Wilson, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. I'm glad to be here with you today as we begin our Christmas series. We've entitled this Rediscover Christmas. And today we want to talk about anticipation, how to rediscover the anticipation of Christmas. The dictionary defines the word anticipation as a feeling of excitement about something that is going to happen in the near future, uh, the act of looking forward to something, a pleasurable expectation, as in looking forward with anticipation to someone's arrival. Anticipation. Do you remember that feeling you used to have when you were a child, the, the anticipation? For those of us uh, in my age group, we remember the Sears Christmas wish book that used to come in and mark that th- thing up, dog ear that book. And I'm the oldest in my family, the oldest child, so I would kind of get the lowdown on what the budget was that year. And so, you know, I'd, I'd put my math brain to work, so I'd, I'd be like working it out with my siblings, like, okay, it looks like we can afford this much. And I was just like going through there and circling things and coming up with all kinds of ideas, the anticipation of what we're going to get this Christmas and what it's going just the mystery of it, the excitement of it. Do you remember that, that sense of anticipation? Uh, Eric Severide, when he... Uh, was writing about this, the the author and journalist writes, for children, Christmas is anticipation. For adults, Christmas is memory. And so we remember that, but have we lost it? Have we lost that, that sense of something new, something unexpected, something mysterious, something surprising could still come our way? How do we move Christmas from a happy memory A childhood memory to the anticipation of something unexpected is still waiting on the horizon for us. Perhaps we need to get back to the ancient church practice of Advent. They didn't call this season the Christmas season. They called it the season of Advent. And it comes, since Stephen is teaching, Pastor Stephen's teaching Latin today, I thought I might teach you a Latin word too. Adventus, which means coming. That's where we get the word Advent. It means coming. And so when we talk about Approaching the Christmas season, we're talking about the idea that the Son of God has come, but not only that, the reality of His coming points that He is coming again. And we can all wait with anxious, active anticipation for His return. And so that's what Advent season should feel like for us. It should feel like anticipation, excitement. So what's your perspective on Christmas this year? Has inflation limited your Christmas spirit? Maybe you lost your job and you don't know how you're going to pay for Christmas gifts for the kids this year. That'll sure take the Christmas spirit away. By the way, if that is your situation, or if you know of a family in our church that's having a situation like that this year, that's what our church benevolence fund is for. So don't be too proud to let us know that you need some help because we want to make sure you're able to celebrate Christmas this year. So you let us know about that. Maybe you lost a loved one this year, and so your Christmas dinner will have an empty seat at the table this year, and it's just not going to be the same. You know, we've done, I've done three funerals in the last three weeks. Uh, often we have families in our church that are going into this season with an unexpected loss. How can we still anticipate this season when we're going through a time of loss? 
Maybe there's been a divorce in your family and, and it's really chaotic this year trying to figure out where their Christmas is going to be with the kids or this place or the grandma's house or somebody else's house. It's complicated. Or maybe you work retail. I've talked to several of you. I used to, I used to run uh, stores and for 12 years I was a district manager and I never had a day off for 12 years between Thanksgiving and New Year's, seven days a week, every year for 12 years. I have to say, I didn't anticipate Christmas. I more like dreaded it during that season because it meant so much work. And so it's like if you're a, a retailer, I, you know, I know your situation. But how do we look past the idea that Christmas really has become more of a secular holiday? It's, it's actually the biggest holiday of the year in the Western world. But underneath it all is the reality of the true Christmas story. How do we get back to that? And if we can get back to that, we can rediscover the anticipation of Christmas. I have good news for you. There's a better way. We can get that anticipation back. So in Advent, the tradition of the church is that the first Sunday of Advent, that you start by looking at what did the prophets say about the coming of Christ. So, in like manner, we're going to do the same thing today. We're going to look at, at the prophet Isaiah. And in Isaiah chapter 9, the prophet proclaimed a word from the Lord concerning the coming of the long-anticipated Messiah. And I believe we can rediscover that anticipation that the people of the first century had waiting for Jesus and also as we wait for His soon return. How is this possible? As we look at the text today, I think we'll see three ways to rediscover the anticipation of Christmas. So let's dig in. This is written, by the way, he writes this book 700 years before the birth of Jesus. So this is like 700 B.C. Verse 1. Chapter 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and as they are glad when the, they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And this is God's Word. 
We're looking for three ways on how we can rediscover the anticipation of Christmas. Here is the first, by recognizing Jesus as the light of the world. By recognizing Jesus as the light of the world. Let's look at the first couple of verses. I want you to notice the contrast between the repeating description gloom and darkness and the idea of glory and light. He, he speaks of a former time, and then he speaks of a latter time. In the former time, he says, there was gloom and anguish. But he says there'll be no more in this latter time. You see this? Gloom, anguish, uh, anguish darkness, these descriptions of the former time. He says this was the way things were in the land of Zebulun and in the land of Naphtali. Now Zebulun and Naphtali were two of the twelve tribes of Israel. And they were given land when they first came into the Promised Land in the northern region of Israel, up around the area of Galilee. And it just so happened that during the time of Isaiah writing, during his lifetime, that the northern tribes, because there had been a division in Israel, a disagreement had happened, and there were really two kingdoms. One, the northern tribes were called Israel. The southern tribes were called Judah. But during Isaiah's lifetime, in 721 B.C., the, the Assyrians came down and conquered the northern kingdom. And they carried into captivity the tribes of the northern kingdom. Included among them were these Galilean tribes, Naphtali and Zebulun. And so they've been carried off. So to understand what Isaiah is talking about when he says in the former time, he's saying this has already happened. I already saw this happen. And there was gloom and despair and darkness. And, and so this is what, but there's a time coming, he says. There's a latter time coming when the Messiah will come, and he'll be like a great light. And he describes where he will come. And whenever we have a place name, we have stuff like Way of the Sea, Jordan, Galilee. Of the what do we have to do? What must I do if I see a place name? Well, I must show you a map, right? And so I have a couple maps for you. Way of the Sea. Way of the Sea. That's in Latin, that's what the Romans called uh, the Via Maris, the Via Maris, which just literally means way of the sea. And it was a well-known trade route that had passed for millennia from Egypt along the Mediterranean Sea coast, and then it would cut in just above the Sea of Galilee and then go all the way up in Syria uh, to the city of Damascus. It was a well-known trade route. And for, for Isaiah to talk about the way of the sea, it would be like you and I saying, the Messiah's coming pretty soon, and when he comes, he's coming up I-95. It would be just that well-known. It'd be like a well-known highway. And so it's like the most well-known highway. And so then if you go to the next slide, you'll see a close-up of the Sea of Galilee. And here comes the Via Maris, and it goes right through a crossroad town that's on the north side of the Sea of Galilee called Capernaum, which Jesus made his home base during his three years of ministry. It's where, it's where uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John lived, and it's where their, uh, their base of operations for their fishing business took place, and it's where Jesus worked. And so Nazareth is over here in Capernaum, and over here is the Golan Heights of modern times. But this is where Jesus spent the majority of his three years, except for when he would go to Jerusalem. Isaiah had this revealed to him through the Holy Spirit 700 years before it happened. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
This really happened. And the people of Israel, the ones who had an ear to hear, the ones who believed, had anticipated the coming of the Messiah for 700 years. They'd been waiting. And not only that, they'd been waiting for years before that because Isaiah is not the first one to prophesy this, but he certainly has some of the most specific ones because he describes the place. Because what had happened, because the Assyrians had conquered the northern tribes, they had intermarried with them, and then by the time Jesus comes, that whole area of Galilee was filled with Jews and Gentiles. So the Gentiles had kind of moved in there. That's why you had those cities called the Decapolis, those ten cities along the Galilean, the eastern shore of, of, of the Sea of Galilee. It's all these Gentiles were in there. And so when, when, when Isaiah's writing, he's going... Galilee of the nations, he's, he's literally saying Galilee of, of, of the Gentiles. This idea, he sees it coming. And so he prophesies concerning this. And so this gloom is going to turn into glory. Amen. This darkness is going to come in, uh, become light. My, Matthew writes about it in his gospel, Matthew chapter 4. He sees this. He goes, wait a minute. What we're looking at is what Isaiah said. He says in Matthew chapter 4, and leaving Nazareth, speaking of Jesus, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. The sun has come up. It happened, just as Isaiah foretold by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so in John chapter 8, we see Jesus declare this to the people of Israel. He says, I, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What does life symbolize here? What does light symbolize here? It symbolizes revelation. You want to know what God looks like? You want to know what He talks like? You want to know His character? Look at Jesus. He's the light of the world. He's the light of God dawning upon planet earth so that we know God. He is God in the flesh, God incarnate. And so when you look at Him, you see that. Uh, growing up, we would sing this song, uh, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Just look to Jesus if you want to see this light. He is the light of the world. He's the long-anticipated one who has already come and is coming again. You know, there's a story of a man named Simeon, and I, I thought of this this morning after I'd already uh, printed my notes, so you won't have this in your notes. It won't appear on the screen. But it's about a man named Simeon in Luke chapter 2 who had thought and looked for and longed for the coming of Messiah. Messiah is the Hebrew word. It means the anointed one. Christ is the Greek word, Christos, Christ. It means the same thing, anointed one. He'd been waiting for him. And it says in Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And he, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ and he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, why were they there? What's well, the eighth day? 
after Jesus' birth. So they've brought him down. They've brought him up from Bethlehem to, to Jerusalem, to the temple, to do what the law, the Levitical law requires in, in Leviticus chapter 12. And that is, if it's the firstborn son, you have to bring a firstborn lamb and offer the lamb. But if you read this, and you read in Leviticus, if you're poor and unable to bring a lamb, you can bring two turtle doves. And that's what they brought. They brought two turtle doves because they were poor. And they brought Jesus. Just imagine this. The Son of God born to this, this little family. And he made a wave through the Levitical law for the poor to bring a smaller offering. So they bring Jesus and they bring their little offering. And he would be circumcised and given his name on this eighth day. But before they could even get in the temple, here comes this old man. And the Holy Spirit had told him, you'll not die until you see the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's Christ. And he sees this couple coming in with their turtle doves and a little, probably a little cage to offer, and this newborn baby in the arms of Jesus. And he goes, oh, oh, I've seen him. I've seen him. And he declares this. He goes, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. <laughs> I can go home now. I've seen him. I've anticipated him my whole life. And here he is. So says Simeon. I remember when my children were younger and such things as going to see lights used to astound them takes more as they get older to astound them. It takes more to get us astounded and anticipating. But we used to take them to a place called White's Lights. Uh, Mr. White, who uh, was the founder of White's Tire, had a place uh, that he had put these white lights all along this long driveway that circled his property. And, and we used to drive over there and drive through the White's Lights. And the kids, wow, look at this, look at that. And then we'd go around town and try to find some of the houses that did really good jobs. And I've learned uh, from talking to some of you that there's a couple places you can stop off. Apparently our tech team leader back there, uh, Don, uh, he, uh, he, he's got a great house over there on Lakeside. You want to drive by there. And then I heard that Randy Tuttle's really putting it on again this year. Maybe some of you. But it's just kind of fun to go around and look at how people put out lights. But why do they do that? Why do we put lights out like that? It's because they point to Jesus, the light of the world, who has turned our darkness into light and our gloom into glory. Do you want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. He's the revelation of God. Here's number two. Here's the second way we can get our anticipation. Get it back. Rediscover it. By looking to Jesus as the source of true joy. By looking to Jesus as the source of our true joy. We're at verses 3 through 5 now. And I want you to take note of the repeating words joy, rejoice, and glad. Do you see them there? 3 through 5 is speaking of a coming time when their, their sorrow, their, their slavery, their, their suffering will be overcome by joy and gladness and rejoicing. And so he speaks of a day that's coming, but he speaks of it in the present tense as if it has already happened. And this is the amazing thing about God that I want you to understand. God, his name is not I was. When Moses asked him, Lord, what's your name? By what name should we call you? We've been calling you the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but what should we call you? He didn't say I was. 
Nor did he say, I will be. He said, I am. He's eternally present, self-existent. He stands outside of time. And so when he's talking to Isaiah, he talks as if it's already happened. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. You have multiple. It's like it already happened. It hasn't happened yet. It won't happen for 700 years. But for God, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. He stands outside of time. And so he said, this is coming. And then he says, he talks about, I've increased your joy. The nation is going to multiply. They're going to rejoice like joy at the harvest, like when you first bring in the crops and you get a full belly and a full barn. Like that, that's how happy you'll be. And not only that, it'll be like you won a victory and you got the winner's uh, trophy. Uh, you'll divide the spoils, the spoils of victory, the spoils of war. You've overcome the enemy and, and you've got all this free stuff like you won the prize. It'll be like that kind of joy. And then it'll be like the kind of joy like, like somebody took a weight off of you, like a, like a yoke, like a debt was taken off your shoulders, like somebody paid off your mortgage or something, like, a, like the staff off your, like you're no longer in slavery, the rod of the oppressor. All of that's going to be removed by this coming Messiah, which is symbolic, I think, first of all, at his first coming, of the removal of sin and slavery to sin and victory over Satan. That's all pointed at. But it's still not fully fulfilled because there's a day coming when physically the reality of this will also be true. And then it says, as on the day of Midian, it'll be like that. So the, the victory is going to be like as on the day of Midian. Well, this seems to be a clear uh, uh, pointing towards the victory of Gideon. Gideon, who was... Uh, well, he was considered a hero. The funny story there for Gideon is, is if you go back and look at that story about Gideon in the book of Judges, is he was from the, the smallest tribe, and he was the least of these, basically is the way he describes himself. And because he was so afraid of the Midianites, instead of, of, of gathering the wheat and, 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 and cleaning the wheat up on the mountaintop like you're supposed to do, you're supposed to throw it up like with a pitchfork and let the wind blow by, and it blows the chaff away, and the heavier grain falls down, he was supposed to be sifting it up on the hilltop he was down hiding somewhere down in the valley inside of a building like that like hiding and then an angel shows up and he goes oh el gabor which in hebrew means almighty warrior and and gideon goes huh you're talking to me like that i'm the least of these that gideon is the one that god called to overthrow the midianites that were holding the israels the israelites and stealing their crops and and so if you remember the story Gideon raises an army, and it's a big army, and God says, it's too big. It's too big. I want you to take the men down to the river and have them drink water. And the ones that cup their hands and drink, I want you to keep them. The ones that bend down like a dog and drink, you need to cut them. Cut them. And so only 300 of them made the cut. And, and Gideon's like, there's only 300. And God says, your army was too big. Because he can do more with a few than he can with much. That's because God's a big God. And so that's, that's the reference here. And so that this victory that the Messiah would bring would be an unexpected victory. It would be a God-sized victory, but it would look small to man. And so he comes in the form of a baby. And then he comes in the form of a meek and mild shepherd. And then he comes in, in the form of a man who lays down his life and dies on the cross. It doesn't look like a victory, but it was. But it was. It was the most amazing victory because he, he accomplished everything that Isaiah foretold here. And so he has, he has become the one who brings us true joy, the joy that we're seeing here. And he, and he says in verse 5, Every boot of the tramping warrior, 
Uh, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Basically, the implements of war, uh, military uniforms and military boots, they're going to be just used for, you know, keeping you warm. Uh, it kind of reminds me of what Isaiah said in chapter 2 of Isaiah. He says, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. There's coming a, a day when there ain't going to be no more, no war no more. No war no more is what I was trying to say. That's what he's talking about. And so the victory has been won at the cross, but there's still skirmishes going on today. But there's a day coming when it will be complete, that, that there will be no need for the implements of war. He's speaking of a time of true joy. John, uh, John reports Jesus talking about this in John 15. He says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the vine. Remember before he said, I am the light. Here he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. He's speaking to believers. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full as in overflowing. Now here's what people seek today. Here's what people seek, especially at Christmas. They seek happiness. And happiness... Happiness is a poor substitute for joy. Happiness is based on a favorable happening. Something favorable has to happen. A good circumstance happens, and therefore I'm happy. And so happiness looks like a roller coaster ride of life. Ups and downs based on favorable and unfavorable happenings. But joy is found in Jesus Christ. And when you have Him in your life, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are because joy is found in Him and it's circumstance proof. And so if you're going into this season having lost someone, having lost your job, ha having a hard time, or, or it's just that time of the year when you remember old memories and it's not the same for whatever reason, you're looking at circumstances. You're looking at the outward things. But Jesus says, abide in me. In other words, stay connected to me. Remain in me. And if you will, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. He will flow into you and through you to others. It will overflow out of you. It's an unconquerable joy. If you really want to know what Jesus is like, He's full of joy. And that's what we will see if we are connected to Him. Remember the story of how Jesus uh, was, was in the womb of His mother Mary. And Mary had just been told by the angel Gabriel and, and told her, you're with child. She goes, but I'm a virgin. He goes, but the Holy Spirit's going to overshadow you and, and the Son of God is going to be born to you. And here's the sign. To, 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 what I'm telling you is the truth is that your relative Elizabeth, who's an old lady and she's barren, as you know, she's pregnant. She's six months pregnant right now. And she hadn't put it on Facebook or anything. So this, this is what I want you to know. And so, so that was the sign given to Mary. And so then Mary, like she leaves Bethlehem, she heads over to uh, Elizabeth's house, right? And she goes to see her. And as she approaches, the scripture says that John the Baptist, who was six months old in the womb, it's not six months old born, but, but he's what people today call a fetus. But what we really prefer to call, as the scripture says, a baby. He leapt in his mother's womb with joy. 
at the approach of the Messiah who was in Mary's womb. These two ladies, they're doing belly bumps right here. That's what we're talking about right here. They got together and their babies are rejoicing. It says something about the sanctity of life, doesn't it? It says something about the unborn. But it also says something about joy. This is what Elizabeth says. She goes, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Hey man, if you just get a glimpse of Jesus, if you just get close to him, you'll have joy. Unless you have joy in Jesus, your joy will never be full. You'll have to settle for happiness, and happiness is a fickle thing. But joy in the Lord is a certain thing. Here's the third way that we can rediscover uh, anticipation. We've talked about him being the light, the joy. And then finally, by watching for Jesus who has come to come again. Now this is where the real key to anticipation at Christmas comes, is let the Let the cradle point not only to the cross, but to his second coming. That Christmas, the reality that has come, and history records this by even changing the calendar. 2,022 years ago, he has come, and he is coming again. With that same certainty that we look back with memory and history, we can look forward with hope and active anticipation that he is coming again. We're at verses 6 and 7 now, and we'll still see that tension between present tense language and future tense language. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. That's present tense. It's going to happen 700 years in the future from Isaiah. We look back on it 2,000 years ago. It did happen. But then he uses this language, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. That's future tense. There's something going on here. It's as if Isaiah doesn't completely get the revelation of what's going on because not all things were revealed to the prophets, but there seems to be clearly two threads of messianic prophecy in the Bible. There are over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus has fulfilled partially. He's fulfilled all of those concerning the suffering servant thread of prophecy. But then the conquering king thread is yet to be fulfilled. Those are those prophecies in the Old Testament that won't be fulfilled until He comes again. And so what we see here, has He been born? Has the Son been given? Yeah, that's the suffering servant. That's the Jesus meek and mild. That's already happened 2,000 years ago. Is the government on His shoulders? No, it's not. It's not. It's, he's starting to build it. He's, the kingdom is coming. He's building it in us, but it's not yet. The government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called these wonderful names. These four wonderful uh, divine titles are given here. Does he have these names already? Yes. But does the world call him by these names? No. The world has not bent the knee to King Jesus yet. And so this is that already not yet tension that we live in, in anticipation. He has come. He is coming again. Uh, I have people come to me and they say, you know, I can't afford a counselor. Could you be my counselor? I'm like the free counselor. I think that's why people come to me. They, they can't afford one, so they come to me. <laughs> but there's a better counselor, and he, he's free. He's paid for it all. His, his name is Wonderful Counselor. His name is Jesus. He, you want some real counsel? You want real wisdom? Go to Jesus. 
He's the mighty God. The, the Hebrew word is El Gabor. He's, he's a hero, a mighty warrior. He's an everlasting father. In other words, he's one with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He's everlasting. He's eternal. He's the prince of peace in Hebrew, the Shar Shalom, the sovereign of peace, the peace bringer, the peace keeper. And he, he's the one that the throne of David belongs to. The increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. This hasn't happened yet. This is coming. In the same passage, in the same prophecy, we have already, not yet. We have already came, is coming again. The throne of David. This is what confused so many of the Jews in the first century. They were looking for the king. Instead, they've... They got the Savior. They were looking for the Lion of Judah, and they got the Lamb. The Lamb of God that died for the sins of the world. But the Lion is coming. The King is coming. And He will take up the throne of David, and He'll establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. His passionate love will accomplish this. He will do what he said he will do. Do you believe this? He is coming again. Do you anticipate this? Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14, as he had told them he was about to go up to Jerusalem and that the people there were going to crucify him, but three days later he was going to get up, get up from the grave. And their hearts were troubled when they heard this. So he says to them, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And I will receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. What did Jesus promise to those disciples? And what did he promise to us right there? I will come again, so that you might be with me. This is his promise. I'm going away, but I will come again. In the book of Revelation, we hear him saying, Look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me. Blessed are all. Blessed. That could be translated completely content and full of joy are those who anticipate my return. They're watching for me. So that, so that we get up every morning going, Could it be today? Could today be the day that you come again? Let me order my affairs today as if today were the day of your return. Oh, it'll change your perspective, not just at Christmas, but every day of the year. In Dr. Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology book, which sounds like a really big dictionary, which it kind of looks like, but here's a very interesting quote here about his return. He says, do Christians in fact eagerly long for Christ's return? The more Christians are caught up in enjoying the good things of this life and the more they neglect genuine Christian community and deep intimacy with Jesus, the less they long for his return. To some extent then, the degree to which we actually groan for Christ's return is a measure of our spiritual condition right now. You want the joy? You want the light to come on in your darkness? Anticipate Jesus. He's coming again. 
Deepen your relationship with Jesus. That's what this season should remind us of. That what we have here is temporary and passing. But what is coming, what we can anticipate, will last forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this, he says. Anticipation. Coming. Has come is coming again. Focusing on Jesus, we rediscover the anticipation of that childlike approach to Christmas. We can recognize Him as the true revelation of God, the light of the world. We can seek Him for the source of joy, and we can look for His soon return. And one other thing I would mention to you as we close this message today. This is the season that we celebrate the birth of Jesus. It's his birthday. And so as you're giving gifts, perhaps pull some of what you would spend on your own self and on your own family. And think about setting aside that which you would celebrate the birth of Jesus with. We want to give you a couple of opportunities this season. I want you to begin thinking about it today, okay? We try to do this every year at this time of the year. The first is our annual Christmas missions offering. This money goes towards our international partners. A large portion of it goes to the International Mission Board, but another big chunk of it actually goes to individual missionaries that came out of our church or partner with our church specifically. There are two particular families I'll talk to you more about in just a little bit during our time of, of response. But I want you to think about, I don't want you to make an emotional uh, uh, response to, to feeling guilty about this. I want you to go home and talk about it and think, what do we want to give Jesus this year? And how could we give a big gift? The other, the other offering that you might consider that you can uh, give to is our benevolence fund. Remember earlier when I said there might be families in our church that are going to have a hard time this Christmas? That's where that money goes is from our benevolence fund. So think about two gifts you might give Jesus, one to the inner to our Christmas missions fund and the other to benevolence. But more than that, make sure you've given yourself to Jesus. That's the best gift you could give him of all. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word today. And thank you as we approach Christmas every year. Help us to focus on what really matters. To all the glitter and gold not to distract us. All the bright lights, none of them come close to the brightness of the great light of your son, Jesus. And so I pray for that person that might be here today that doesn't have a personal relationship with you, Father. If that's you, my friend, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do it right now as we pray. You can pray along with me. Prayer is just expressing the faith of your heart. The words are less important. What really matters is the belief and the faith in your heart. You can pray along with me right now if it's your desire. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, but I believe you died on the cross for my sins, that you were raised from the grave, that you live today, and that you're coming again. Lord, I pray you would come into my life right now, forgive me of my sin, and make me the, the person you want me to be. Make me a child of God, and I want to follow you as my Lord and Savior. If you're praying that prayer of faith, believing, he'll save you and make you a child of God. Others are here today, and you've already done that. You've already received Jesus, and you're a Christ follower. But as you hear this message today, perhaps you've been uh, struggling with something. Perhaps there's been uh, no joy. There's been hurt. There's been grief. There's been sorrow. 
There's been other issues in your life. But right now, would you look to Jesus? Would you say, Lord, I come to you afresh today. I give you my heart afresh today. And I ask you to fill me with your light and your joy. And help me to anticipate your soon return. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.